welcome What's to up? welcome to church and other drugs welcome biznatches i realize that we don't like if P, if this is the first time you're we never like really like do a quick recap of what we're about i just assume if you're listening you know what we're about we're like probably the most hyper niche i wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say underground like, if you're listening to our podcast, you're definitely the cool kid in class. You're you know woke. What I mean? You know what's up. Yeah, for sure. You know. They're already hip to the game. Right. Me me and John are drug addict, alcoholic Christians with varying opinions on topics. <laughs> uh, I, dude, I don't want to look at your forehead. Put the camera down. You like my forehead. It's a five head, bro. It's huge. It's, not a, it's starting to be a five head. We're getting old, bro. Are you losing your hair? Are you going to go bald? Dude. Can you say, hold on one second, I'll show you. Oh, no. Let the record state that he just <laughs> pointed to a bald spot in the back. It's not it's that rough, bad. dude. I mean, you know, it's all right. Yeah. It is rough. So I'm growing my hair out super long because this is the last chance I got. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, that's true. When I mean, that that you really, you're looking more like I, I remember you as, as, uh, as Jesus with your long hair and your, and your uh, beard. Yeah, I'm growing out the hair again because, again, you know, this is my last chance. And then I'm going bald, dude. I'm not going to be one of those, like, well, you that's, know. That's what – well, you never really knew Brad not bald, but he, he committed to the cue ball, and he looks a lot better. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not going cul-de-sac. Also, <laughs> also Brad, Mr. Internet Beef – it's going down. Yeah, Brad is uh, starting uh, starting internet beef with me. If you're interested in that, join our Patreon. That's right. It's pretty entertaining, and he's he's actually he's going to commit to doing a, a complete um, a uh, complete diss channel on YouTube. And I think his plan is to just like every every viral person, he's just going to do diss tracks on them. Like, <laughs> which I think is a pretty good idea. That's all it is, is diss tracks. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Yes. Um, So I'm I'm finally feeling a little better. Dude, I don't know why I keep getting sick. I hate it, and, like, it ruins my life for a solid week, but today I it's, feel better. It's because you're around those disgusting children all the time. But they're never sick. That's the thing. I guess they're just carriers. They're just sickly carriers. In more it's when you... When you're 14, dude, you're, like, indestructible. That's true. But you harbor all sorts of germs. And soul germs, too. They're just, they're infecting me inside and out, dude. (laughs) Bruh. Uh, Um, Speaking of funny work stories, so, uh, well, I got two. So, we went to, I went to a uh, DBT conference, or a workshop, which is dialectical behavioral therapy which it was just like a training workshop and it was me and uh two other counselors from my work and mm-hmm. these we were sitting at this table um and these three other ladies were just talking the whole like just gabbing like just rah, bah, 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 just talking the whole time it was really really annoying and so i texted my counselor buddy next to me i go oh my god these ladies won't shut the f up and <laughs> and i motioned to him to like hey check your text messages and he, he's like older and he can't see very well. So his phone is magnified. The text is like large. <laughs> he opens it and I see the, he opens it 
like holds it in front of his head in plain view of the ladies that I'm talking crap about. And I was like, oh, no. And I see the lady glance over at at his phone and then just glare at me. And I was like, I hate you so much, dude. (laughs) And then the other good one. So we, we show them an episode of Intervention every week usually. And so we really, uh, yeah. Are you guys like those substitute teachers that like hand out worksheets? Like all your rehab that's... is is you playing intervention for kids. <laughs> no, dude, that's Saturday group. You know, you want to do something a little different, give them something more so fun. The these parents pay like ten grand, and they you guys don't... just played. You play reruns of Scared Straight Listen, and Intervention bro, do for I, thirty do I, days. Do I tell you how to digital market? <laughs> do I? You know, do I? Okay. All I'm saying is, is you're phoning it in, bro. You can do what, better. What, dude, don't question my intervention groups. They're very good. We get lots of good discussion out of them. That's not the <laughs> point of why I brought that up. I don't need your criticism. So so it's on it's on uh A and E dot com is where we're watching it. And so we'll 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 pick an episode and kind of cycle through it, and make sure it's not too gnarly or whatever. And my coworkers, mm-hmm. she goes Oh, holy shit, that dude fell off. And then she goes, Oh, wait, that's the Walking Dead. (laughs) (laughs) She she was literally going through an episode of the Walking Dead, like, dang, this dude fell off. And then she was like, Oh, "Oh, that's a zombie. And I was like, Oh, my God. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, it, it made me laugh. Um, so have, I figured you would be all on this, uh, UFO conspiracy news. I'll let you see if you even know what I'm talking about. I don't. Well, not unless you start talking, but I don't know anything big as of late. What's up? The FBI just shut down that observatory. No, I didn't see that. Ooh, it's it's pretty like ooh, it's exactly how it goes down in the movies. So, ooh, for and in black, basically for for there there's no official reason. Uh, I think the official reason was um, security issues, but the uh, FBI uh, just uh. came in and shut down an observatory, a solar observatory near Area Fifty One. Clear hmm. out the staff, shut it down, roped it off. Do not pass go, and they're not saying anything about it. They're not saying why. Interesting. Isn't that crazy? Usually, when shit like that happens, it's not the FBI is too public facing to do stuff like that. So usually, it's like unnamed, just men in black, or all the story like F- UFO stories are just like <clears throat> people in black suits. They don't say who they're with or. Whatever, but oh, well, that's just, very interesting. Damn it, I just googled it. All that, well, so here they did. They finally just came out with an explanation. Uh-huh. Uh, cooperating with ongoing law enforcement investigating of criminal activity that occurred at Sacramento Peak. It doesn't. That's yeah, not good, that's, that's not good like the me. most ambiguous. That's not good I enough mean, for me. That doesn't mean anything. That's like, yeah. Yeah, that's like Homeland Security Act. Like you call somebody a terrorist and you can be in prison indefinitely. It just doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, here's a quote from the staff member. There was a Black Hawk helicopter, a bunch of people around antennas and work crews on towers, but nobody would tell us anything. That's gnarly. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I don't know, dude. 
and they sent oh dude that's creepy hmm i like it yeah i like it um yeah usually ufo like black government stuff is much more covert than that uh, my guess is they're like transmitting information to the russians or something oh that's so fun that, that's the next thing yeah they're thinking because we did just intercept for the second time um russian bombers in alaska in u.s airspace mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah this one said uh they think it could have had to do with um russians trying to hijack antennas to for missile defense stuff that's actually more frightening, and I kind of wish it was aliens instead. <laughs> <clears throat> Fuck, Russia's that's going in for the kill, man. Like we're wounded, we're a wounded animal over here. Well, and they're they're it's Russia and China are running these big military drills right now. Mm-hmm. Great. Yep. Great. Yep. Um, you know oh. it's going to really come come in handy though. What? All that alien tech, war technology that we have in the can that's true during the night ne- during world war three somebody call jeff goldblum and get his laptop and hack into the alien thing okay um so i've got another big revelation i'm gonna save it for the outro though so it's, okay. it's probably the, it's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to me in let's see 26 years that's Anyways. saying a lot because yeah you'll stick around you do to some find embarrassing out. shit um yeah, <laughs> it's good. I never thought I'd die alone. I laughed the loudest who'd have known. I traced the cord back to the wall. No wonder it was never plugged in at all. I took my time. I hurried up. The choice was mine. I didn't think enough. I'm too depressed to go on. So I'm here with Zach. Is it Eastwine? Eswin? Yeah, Eswine. Eswine. All right, I was close. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Zach, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, uh, my wife Jessica, we have uh, uh, four children, and we're in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a pastor at Riverside Church. Been there for ten years, and I serve at a local seminary. Uh, teaching preaching and uh, teaching classes on culture and the gospel. Oh, wow. Very cool. Uh, and you have written a book called Spurgeon Sorrows, Realistic Hope for Those Who Suffer from Depression. Yeah. So I can I can kind of give you my, uh, how I came across that. So a um, little bit about us. I'm a... a a heroin addict in recovery. I'm a substance abuse counselor at an adolescent treatment facility. Mm. I'm also a Christian. So depression is 
in my blood um, has been since I was a little little kid and my mom had ended up uh she sent me sends me articles from time to time and she sent me an excerpt from your book and this was it's funny how certain books and certain things will you know air quotes coincidentally come into my life at certain times but I was I'd been on depression meds for about three years um and I got off of them uh, a couple months back and I was spiraling back into another like deep depression, getting suicidal thoughts. And my mom sent me this and I read it and I was like, Oh man, I need to read that. So I I ordered the book and it really, uh, helped me out during a time when it was kind of saying a lot of the things that was going through my head. Um, so it's very cool. It's very cool that I get to talk to you and I appreciate you coming on. Um, thanks a lot. Thanks for sharing about that. That's a meaningful story. Yeah, it's it's very meaningful for me too, and I, and I've always said it that the church uh, painting with broad strokes has kind of not treated depression fairly or correctly as like a uh, as a disease or as something that you can't necessarily pray away, like oh you just don't have enough faith or you're not trusting God enough that sort of things. Um, but I kind of wanted to start. So, what what was the impetus for you in writing this book? What uh, interested you in depression? Um, Thank you, Jed. I well, as a pastor for I guess over twenty years now, that's part of it. Just in trying to care for people pastorally who have wrestled with various degrees and kinds of depression, and trying to learn how to just be a faithful listener. And a good pastor, but also in my own life and in parts of my family, you know, depression is and anxiety are both a part of our lives. And you know, trying to learn to come to terms of that in my own life as a follower of Jesus. So, yeah, both both in terms of my vocation as a pastor and also just as a human being, you know, I've I've needed a lot of grace and a lot of help uh, to learn. And so that, that's what led me in that direction. What about with um? Well, and I guess you can kind of give a little uh, synopsis of the book and kind of just a little history on um, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. So I wasn't I'm I was familiar in the fact like I've I've heard of him in um, Calvinist circles and stuff, but I, I had no idea of his that he was so uh, intimately tied to depression, and that was kind of almost what he was known for. Um, yeah, I you know he is. Uh... He's known um, as often as the Prince of Preachers. A lot of people think of him as a, a remarkable evangelist for his day. He's the first megachurch pastor, at least in the West, that we're historically aware of. You know, thousands and thousands of people came to hear him preach. And uh, but but there's this storyline in his life of depression and sorrow. And I was doing some study on his preaching. And as I was reading through various sermons, I began to notice how many of these threads of sorrow run through there. Sermon titles, some of his illustrations, the things that he would say vulnerably from the pulpit. It was a real surprise to me. And I I did a little research there and saw that a couple of people had written some articles on that or but no one had ever had done, at least that I could find, sort of full treatment on that side of his life. 
And I think the reason I chose to, you know, the book is about depression, and in some ways, it's it's larger than Spurgeon's depression. Uh, it's just that I let Spurgeon be sort of a traveling companion with us as we talk about Spurgeon. And I think I did that because a number of folks in the circles that I'm a part of are similar to what you describe. They wouldn't, if I were just to talk about depression, I don't know that, that they might, they could necessarily hear me, you know, but, uh, to be able to talk about it and then hear Spurgeon's own words about how he, uh, the, the biblical theology he had of it, his personal experience he had of it, uh, I felt that maybe that would give some people a chance to hear because they respected him. And, uh, and so that's, that's how, I, that's why I approached it that way. Yeah, no. And it's, I definitely agree with that. For some reason, it just, uh, giving people anything to validate them. Like they're, they're, everyone has their examples in the Bible, but it's like, it seems like some people forget about those when they're giving advice on depression of, I yeah. guess just because it's such a different, you know, we live in the time of medicine and insurance companies and the medical community, and there's a whole other side of depression. And I think there's some people, well, and I'll, I'll admit, my biggest struggle always has been, it, it still kind of is, is trying to figure out if if God wanted me to be depressed, quote unquote, if this is who I am, will some sort of medication be changing what I'm supposed to do? Is this like a quote thorn in my side I'm supposed to deal with? Just a lot of confusion um, around it. And yeah. it it's really helpful to hear someone else tackle it in a way. It's it's I hate using like he's a better Christian than I and he still dealt with it. But for some reason, stuff like that is really reassuring. Um because it's hard constantly hearing. I just would not relate to people, pastors and people in the ministry that I would speak to that are just the constant, like, God's good, brother. Things are great. You know, wife's good. Kids are good. Work is good. Everything's just great. You just need, you're just not blessed enough sort of stuff. Like, that is so foreign to me sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's tragic. It, it's a, a misunderstanding of God's word. It's a uh, you know, a, a part of that is, like you've said, our own culture. Uh, we're, we're immediate fixes, immediate remedies, a, a commitment to a quick fix and immediate comfort. And a lot of places in the world can't afford to think like that. But we've had the benefit of being, you know, uh, a wealthier country and being able to live with some of those uh, provisions. And so that's part of it. But also we're just unfamiliar with the wisdom literature in the Bible. So the book of Job and uh, the Psalms, especially the Psalms of lament and uh, Ecclesiastes and how the Lord Jesus is one greater than Solomon. He's the man of sorrows. He's the fulfillment of all wisdom. Though we're just less familiar with those more um, earthy, honest about pain books in the Bible. And so I, th I think because we're not as familiar with that, we misread the, some of the passages that we are familiar with, and we take our cues more from our own impatience with pain 
rather than the Lord's provision for us in the midst of it. What do you think those books that you mentioned and in, in the Bible in general, what kind of things do you think it says about depression and sorrow and sadness that we're missing? Well, uh, number one, you know, when when the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes right there in the beginning just says meaningless, meaningless, you know, vanity of vanities, everything's vanity, everything's meaningless. Or he'll say, I hated life. Or he'll say, uh, it would have been better had I, had I never been born. Well, uh, that just doesn't sound Christian to a lot of us. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but, that, but actually, that's a man of faith uh, speaking about the fallen world and what we experience in this world. And so is Job. And uh, I think uh, he, he gives us language. So if those books are inspired by God, which I believe they are, inspired, authority, authoritative, inerrant word of God, just like the book of Isaiah or just like the letters of the Apostle Paul, then what you have is God giving us language for miserable things. He, God himself gives us a dictionary of how to talk about sorrows and how to think about pain. And uh, that's remarkable. And so, yeah, uh, a language for pain, a language for sorrow is certainly a big part of it. And secondly, uh, the word haste or hurry is really valued by our most of our current cultures here in the West, but haste and hurry are almost always identified with folly in the Bible. Hmm. Things like being still, having to wait, being patient, being patient, you know, those things are, are seen as attached to wisdom, uh, whereas impatience and hurry and haste are attached with folly. So I think that secondly, we're, the wisdom literature slows everything down and calls upon us to find uh, the Lord's provision in this ordinary present moment in the midst of everything that's not right. So that my Tuesday, I might end my Tuesday and everything is still unfixed and unanswered, but the Lord is with me and he's my portion and my treasure. And that's no longer a trite thing. You know, because the Lord's with me, that means I have no pain. If you were just more blessed, brother, you know, right. it's not like that. Uh, it's the, it's really the other way around. The Lord is here with me and with you in our struggle. And uh, that's the blessing uh, that uh, the fallen world and our sadnesses and sorrows and it won't have the last word. And so I think the wisdom literature of the Bible gives us some of those themes. Honest language, slowing us down finding the grace of the Lord for the ordinary, giving us hope uh, beyond so that our present moment doesn't have the last word. And I, we just miss some of that uh, because we're just not aware of it. Have you, so you, I'm, I'm assuming in a pastoral role, you've counseled people with depression. Do you, and backtracking a little bit, kind of my beliefs as a kid that I, that I internalized whether or not it was what I was preached. It's, it's what I heard was kind of that the suffering I will endure in my life is, is almost a direct result of whether I'm not doing enough for God or you're, you know, quote, incurring God's wrath or whatever. Have you had people 
that kind of come to you wondering if they're doing something wrong or they're not doing enough of the right thing or yeah i sure have and you know the disciples in the new testament and the pharisees all struggled with this you know if if, uh, someone was sick they assumed it was a sin if uh, an accident like uh, a tower fell on someone and some people died they assumed it was a sin it must be because this is god's judgment um and Regularly, the Lord tells us this isn't about a sin. And so uh, if I – the fact that someone is sad, let's start there, might be the most – they might be the most sane person in the room. According to the wisdom literature, they might be the wisest person in the room because it's a a wise thing to be sad about sad things, you know? Yep. Uh, And – and so it's – I think it's uh, the way our enemy – like the enemy who accused Job, you know, or the the enemy who accused Paul, which was the messenger of Satan with a thorn in his flesh. I think our enemy uses accusation to tell us that if we were just different somehow, we wouldn't have this problem. And it's remarkable. You know, a lot of us – I mean some people are – uh, believe that you shouldn't go to a doctor, etc. If you have a physical ailment, but most people understand that God's provided doctors and care and nurses and community and all kinds of things to help someone with physical illness. Most people understand that if you have uh, tragically, if you have a cancer in your body, or if you're if you if you have cerebral palsy or something like that, most Christians will look to the Lord in faith praying for healing, but also giving thanks for a community of doctors, uh, physicians, like Luke, you know, one of the gospel writers was a physician. But for some reason, when it comes to something like depression or anxiety, it's almost like we become faith healers. Uh, <laughs> we we think you should just have faith. There, there's no community or provision or medicine or care or anything that you should need. And it's it's a it's a tragic inconsistency, you know, in our way of thinking. And I, and I just don't think a lot of us have even thought about it. So we're impatient with other people and we, without even realizing it, we, we sort of, uh, support the lie that if this person was just more faithful, they wouldn't be depressed. And it also unearths a self-righteousness on our part. We must think that we're righteous enough that that's why we're not depressed, and uh, I, you know, that's a that's a dangerous place to be in because there's just a lot of life left for most of us to live, and uh, uh, and those of us who've lived long enough have seen a lot, and a guy like Job can be a righteous man and suddenly lose everything, and it wasn't because he sinned, and the Bible makes that clear. What do you, what do you think's the overarching theme and message from Job? Just a personal opinion. Yeah, that um I think the marvelous thing about that is um Job's friends. So one major theme here is the book of Proverbs uh gives you the idea that hang around with good people, good things go well with you. Do the right thing good things will happen. Do bad things, bad things will happen. So those are some norms, you know, about life. 
But then you have Job and Ecclesiastes, which gives you all the exceptions to those rules, like uh, that a righteous man in the Proverbs, a righteous man must mean that he was good and he did good things. A bad man must mean that he was bad and did bad things. And that's often true. But then you have Job and Ecclesiastes, which reminds us that in a fallen world, bad things can happen to a righteous person. And it doesn't mean that they've sinned. And so a main theme of Job is to uh, show us Job's friends and their ability to use right theology in all the wrong ways. And we as readers know that there's this whole thing with the devil. But the Job's friends never stop to ask anything about. They never stop to consider. They just automatically, after they got it right by being quiet in the ashes for seven days, they automatically just begin to assume. And they give Job the double wound. And you may have had the double wound in your life. I know I have, and I know I've given it. It's Job has the wound itself, the fact of losing all those folks and being sick like he is. And then he has the double wound of people trying to help him in the name of God who only hurt him all the more. And yeah. uh, and so one key theme of that is the the wrongness of that, the injustice of that. And at the end of the day, uh, incredibly, all the things that Job says in his complaint to God, um, God defends. And God says Job has not sinned in anything that he said. And I think that's remarkable. Because a lot of us would rebuke Job like his friends and say, have more faith, man. Or just like we might say to the Lord Jesus on the cross when he says, Father, forgive me. I mean, when he says, uh, Father, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, some of us would want to rebuke our Lord. Have more faith, you know, uh, rather than seeing that this lament and that this, this cry as a child to our Father in complete honesty is actually an expression of faith and is defended by him. And then, of course, a second major theme is that even though Job is righteous and all of those things and he's bearing with the double wound, uh, it doesn't mean that he's somehow um, above God either. As a victim, it doesn't mean that somehow he doesn't need God. So there at the end, you know, the Lord uh, wonderfully confronts Job, you know, with a series of questions. Where were you, Job? Uh, when the things were created and Job is reminded that even as a victim who's received the double wound, uh, even as a defended advocated, uh, sufferer advocated for sufferer, he still bows before the Lord too. And, yeah. uh, and so those are a couple of main themes I think in that book. That's good. So what about for you? Because I, I picked up in your writing that you, you know what you're talking about, at least from a personal experience degree. How has depression manifested itself in your life? Yeah, thank you. I, you know, Spurgeon said that uh, depression came from three main sources. You know, uh, our chemistry or our biology. You know, it's just in our body. We're born with that. Uh, he also said there are spiritual reasons for depression and circumstantial reasons for depression. And for myself, I have a, a melancholy temperament, uh, and I also have just had a, many circumstances that have been painful and difficult in my life. And so both in our family history uh, and in our circumstances. And so what that's looked like most for me is uh, anxiety, 
anxiety and depression, you know, are a little bit different from one another. Uh, they uh, inform one another. But so for myself, uh, I've had seasons of depression, usually associated with circumstances or the remembrance of circumstances, in which I've uh, 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 used medication for periods of time. But uh, unlike other dear friends who have use medication for much more deeper depression than I have known. But then, and then the major thing that has afflicted me on an ongoing way has been anxiety. And so what that does for me is uh, anxiety attacks, which are, which feel miserable. You know, you feel like you're either going to die or pass out or go crazy. And of course you get, you get full fledged panic attacks. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I've needed a lot of help with that. Uh, again, those are usually triggered probably by uh, family traumas in my life, but um, I've needed a lot of grace to learn how to, how to navigate that and uh, in community and with medicine or nutrition or uh, ways of being, different kinds of rhythms to my life, uh, watching different you know less of this uh thing and being quiet more just uh, hot baths <laughs> you know just a holistic kind of approach the way spurgeon outlines in his own work uh, yeah, drawing up you know, god's creation and god's providence and god's yeah, well, grace yeah why don't you go through that uh spurgeon's prescription yeah, well, it's uh, he just takes seriously that we are created as body and soul. You know, Christian theology. <laughs> what a novel idea. Yeah, <laughs> which is different than, say, Western philosophy, you know, Plato, which would look down on the body and highlight the soul, or other forms of Gnosticism or New Age teaching, which would highlight the soul but look down on the body. Uh, he reminds us that we're Christians, we're body and soul. And so the effects of the fallen world and our sin impact both our bodies as well as our soul. So of course he, uh, he, he talks about, uh, the importance of God's word, especially the promises of God, uh, which Spurgeon kept a copy of him in his pocket and also had them written. His wife would write them on notes all around the house, the promises of God, and, of course, the ministry of his word in a community of worship. But Spurgeon went on from there to say that we also need all of the love tokens or all of the the, the cordials, he would say, the gifts that God's given us in creation. And so uh, he would talk about the need for laughter, for example. So he, he, drawing upon the Proverbs that laughter is good medicine for us, he intentionally pursued Mirthful things, uh, not as escape, but as a way of delight in the Lord. He also uh, would take uh, hot baths. He also would, uh, three months out of the year, eventually, as these things began to really wear on him, he would withdraw for three months a year to a place uh, in France where he would rest, recuperate, and just be a... Uh, draw upon the blessings of God's creation, being able to see the beauty of nature, because the, the fog in London, the rainy, damp fog of Victorian London, he attributed that as part of what would bring his depression on, and he would need rest and uh, creation. He would also say that the 
the kind lick of a loyal dog could be a, a, <laughs> gift, a gift from God, you know, the sense of a friend. Um, and he also, uh, though he struggled with it, would talk about uh, food, you know, way ahead of time. We talk about that much more now, but he was aware of how food might impact uh, depression. He also would use medicine. I mean, the medicine available at the time was pretty crude, you know, compared to now. But uh, he would utilize what was available there. Uh, that's part of the debate uh, among our Baptist friends. You know, Spurgeon would smoke a cigar and uh, um, for a while in his life. And people ask me about that. And I would just say, you know what? I just want to give the guy a break. Um, uh, he said that it, it uh, rested him. And in a time when there wasn't a lot of medicine, uh, a bit of uh, relief was probably welcomed by him as part of that uh, cigar. And so I, I'm not encouraging anyone to go out and smoke cigars. I'm just saying that Spurgeon drew upon a whole provision of everything in God's creation, food, diet, medicine, nature, a dog, as well as the things we would think of, the promise. So, God, yeah, God's word. Yeah, so a full ho holistic treatment, basically. In yeah, of his so, body and his soul. Yeah, yeah. And so, if if he was around today, he would probably be a proponent for medication. Then, yeah, I think so. Uh, he, yeah. yeah, he took medicine. Like it, it's uh, uh, usually at that time, uh, medicine was associated with alcohol. So there'd be some type of alcoholic drink with a bit of. Uh, medication in there which of course sounds strange to us but that's that's what he would have done uh and yeah they use like stimulants and yes right that's right and uh yeah and so he uh treating the body as well as the soul um he would say that depression is is a misfortune not a fault mm, i like that uh What's fascinating about that is Abraham Lincoln says the same thing because Lincoln struggled with depression as well. And it's fascinating to me that they both say that quote. So I'm not a historian, but it's interesting. You know, it makes you wonder. Two different parts of the world at the same time. Yeah. Well, and, and I yeah. think a story worth uh, retelling that you tell in the book is the – event at his first speaking engagement that kind of put him in his first depression if i'm uh remembering yeah, that correctly right. it was it was early in his ministry he was very young he was uh you know people were flocking to hear him preach this is at a time with no microphones no sound systems you know <clears throat> excuse me and uh in this uh hall where he was preaching as a prank as a joke, someone yelled fire. And there were so many thousand people there that Spurgeon didn't realize what was going on. So he kept preaching. and uh, But people panicked. They thought there was an actual fire. And they began to run. By the end of it, uh, some people had died and several people were injured um, in that catastrophe. And it nearly, it nearly undid him. He almost didn't recover from that. His wife says that they didn't we didn't know if he would retain his sanity because he felt he responsible in some way 
and then seeing the scene of all of this tragedy uh, really really shook him. And then he was pilloried in the press because he kept preaching. So his critics used the opportunity to say that he was a callous or uncompassionate man. And of course, the space was so big, he just didn't know uh, when it first began. And so uh, he that event uh, comes back to haunt him and it stays with him. It's many, many years later. Uh, he's speaking at a large event. And as people are pressing forward to the stage, he recounts, ha- and there's a journalist who witnessed it and, re- and writes about it. He recounts that he was nearly unmanned. That's the language he would use, unmanned. Uh, he nearly lost his way because he had, we would call it a flashback. Mm-hmm. He had a flashback to all those years before, and he, he nearly couldn't speak to that group. And uh, so it's just a reminder. He had a lot of uh, physical pain in his life from diseases like gout. He had circumstantial traumas like the one we're describing. And then he also just had a temperament in which, uh, uh, you know, we the, the chemistry in his body was prone to melancholy, as he would say back then. And so those three things together, and then, of course, he talks about spiritual depression as well, where the enemy of our soul takes advantage of all that. Uh, it's like a lion uh, looking for the, the weakened zebra, you know, and yep. s- surrounding the one who's already weakened and taking taking advantage. And so he wonderfully, you know, from his own experience as a, a Victorian Baptist, he spoke so transparently about all that. It's just so, it's really unusual. And it turns out to be a real help to those of us who know, know what it's like to walk through these miseries. We feel like we have a friend in him. And of course, who he points us to is our friend in Jesus in such a non-trite way. And uh, he reminds us that the sorrowing have a savior and, it's it's a gift, I think. Yeah, and that was that was also um, the chapter you wrote about uh, Jesus and depression and how he experienced. Which I never, I always almost like shrugged it off um, in my head because it's like, well, I mean, in the back of his mind, he knows that he's God. So how depressed can he really be? Um, yeah. But that's, I guess, that's just a faulty understanding of mine. But. I could see now that for the most part in the scriptures, he definitely had some depression and anxiety. Yeah, he's um, our Lord. Yeah, and the mystery of that, our Lord's fully human as well as fully divine. But Spurgeon really helped me. You know, he pointed to the Garden of Gethsemane where our Lord is about to be betrayed. His friends are falling asleep. Um, It says, Luke tells us, because of sorrow they're exhausted by sorrow, so they're falling asleep. And there's our Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating like blood. And Spurgeon just says that was a mental depression. And and he goes on to draw from that something I've never heard anybody say, and it's ministered to me so much, and maybe it will be of help to you and some of your listeners, you know, just too. Like he just said, sometimes telling a person in depression about the cross isn't helpful to them. 
And sometimes telling them about the resurrection isn't helpful. Sometimes telling them that Jesus is coming again isn't helpful. He doesn't mean ultimately, of course. He just means as a comfort. It doesn't comfort. And he said what we need is to to know the the Jesus of Gethsemane, the Jesus who faced mental depression alone with his friends falling asleep, about to be betrayed by a close friend, being handed over and sweating like blood. And he said that, uh, you know, in that scene, we see our commander, this is how he put it, that our commander doesn't wait at the back of the battle and send all of us first. But rather, there's a picture of our commander at the head, charging uh, right into the battle first, and all of us following. He's the first to go through like that. He leads the way. And in Jesus, we have a fellow friend uh, who knows what it is to be, in his, in Spurgeon's words, mentally depressed. And uh, I think that's remarkable. Yeah, I agree. That's in, yeah, that is really powerful. Um, I kind of want to, um, it's funny too. I had forgotten. It's, uh, it just so happens to be, uh, suicide prevention awareness week. Um, mm. so that's yeah. pretty, uh, I don't know what that is, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I was, I wanted to applaud you also for including a chapter on suicide and because it's, it's the danced around elephant in the room that people just want to pretend isn't a part of depression, but it, it just is. I mean, like it, it's the worst case scenario of depression, but it's one of those, like, like you were saying that Spurgeon was brave enough to talk about this so transparently back then. And it's almost like it's kind of taken a serious back seat um, yeah. since then. And hopefully it's, you know, coming more to the forefront now, but, um, what has your experience been with that? Well, I, I'm thankful, you know, he, uh, he's, he, he says that he knows what it is to want to end his life. He says that he's surprised that more people don't end their life, which is a remarkable thing for a Christian preacher to say hmm. because of the nature of the misery of a fallen world. And what it's really like sometimes to bear the weight of being sinned against or the misery of having to go through something that's unfixed or unsolved. He, he marvels at that, you know, and uh, gives empathy to that. And so when he talks about suicide, he, be, he starts by saying he can understand why someone would want to end their life. And then he goes right to the, the scripture and points out how Elijah wanted to end his life and uh, uh, how David and Jonah and uh, Paul uh, trying to figure out if he should stay or if he should go ahead and die. And so that's where Spurgeon starts. And then but he doesn't end there. He he goes on to to point out. Uh, how depression lies to us that one it makes us think that we we know the future so he points out that if Elijah had gotten his wish and had ended his life all the things that happened in Elijah's life after that fact uh, that we can see as we read his story Elijah would have never known it um, 
And he reminds us that uh, our depression makes us feel as if we can see the future and can see there is no hope and that every, every angle is exhausted and we are alone and nothing will ever happen. And Spurgeon points out how that's the way our enemy talks, uh, but not how the Lord talks to us. And so uh, he, it's almost as if we learn to say, uh, uh, I, I am miserable and can see no hope, but God. You know, I, maybe uh, I am struggling and am finding no relief, but God. And not in a trite way. But from the depths of our soul, like uh, the Psalms of Lament, you know, or uh, like we read in Ecclesiastes or like we hear from Job, you know, we're crying out with a deep kind of faith uh, and relying upon the Lord to get us through in community with others. And I think a very remarkable thing for any of us to try to consider is that um, it takes more faith for such a person to do less than us. So if we're not struggling like that, we think, oh, that person just needs more faith. Look at all we've done today. If they just had more faith, um, they would produce more. But that's a mistake. Um, the Lord isn't asking us like our culture does to constantly produce more. Uh, that person with the the mental disease is like the person with cerebral palsy in this sense. It took him it took such a person three hours just to get breakfast, shower, go to the bathroom, and get their shoes on. And those of us who don't have that mental or physical strain, it's too easy for us to say what we would do if we were in those situations. And the truth of it is those Christians are more often more courageous, more brave, more, they have more faith than we do. And because we can believe in this season of our life without having to face those kinds of trials, they're believing in the midst of that kind of trial. And so there's a great deal of compassion and hope, empathy, and real help uh, in in trying to speak into the lives of those we love who are thinking of taking their life. And it, it breaks us. We weep. We, But um, it's not a matter of uh, them just getting over it. it. One of the things Spurgeon powerfully does is he defends the depressed from Job's friends, he, uh, the, the harmful helpers. Uh, who quote Bible verses and say trite things. Uh, and, of course, that's just not what's happening in a, in a person facing depression. It's not that they just need one more Bible verse just to get over it. Right. Um, they're facing something much deeper than a lot of us can understand. And it will require us slowing down, being able to listen and sit in the ashes and be, be quiet and be with our our friend and loved one, and and that's what the gospel does. That's that's how God is with us. Great. Well, if you had um, any, I don't even know how to wrap it into a bow. But if you had clo- closing thoughts or advice for 
dealing with loved ones, friends, anyone with depression, what yeah. do you think it would be? Uh, learn what, what you're being invited to is an area of discipleship with Jesus that you may not have thought about before or wouldn't have chosen if you could. And the area of discipleship would be summarized as, as this, learning to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Of course, this is the clear teaching of Scripture. But many of us are accustomed to rebuking those who weep, correcting those who weep, teaching those who weep, silent treatmenting those who weep, <laughs> coaching those who weep, quoting Bible verses to those who you know you just name it yeah but weep with those who weep to actually weep uh to to not try to fix but to listen and to enter with so there's no there's no fixing there's just being with and that means we have no control we're as a caregiver and as a as a sufferer we're both not able to control and we're together waiting on God and a lot of us as caregivers our issue really a lot of times it's not the the depression that our loved one experiences that's the problem um, it, it's our impatience with it that is we hmm. we just want it fixed we don't want to have to look at a life with thinking the worst and but that person who's suffering depression is facing a kind of anxiety and misery internally that most of us can't understand. And so uh, they already know, especially a Christian, a Christian already knows what the answers are, what what the word is, what they should have feel and think. And, and they feel a Christian who's depressed has the double guilt. You know, the, there's the struggle of the depression, and then they feel guilty because they feel depressed. Because if they were a Christian, they wouldn't. They, they feel like they shouldn't be. And so we get to speak the warm welcome of Jesus into that lie, and we get to offer the presence of the Lord with them, not to fix it, but to be with them. And being with is a lot harder than fixing but it's a lot sweeter and so weep with those who weep confess to the lord what you're tempted to replace that word weep with yelling teaching quoting withdrawing whatever and ask him to teach you lord please teach me your tears so that i could listen and empathize and be with this one i love and finally i'd say uh metaphor is important and maybe that sounds so strange to some of us but it's really hard to capture in words what it feels like and you can just say to the one you love what's it like do you feel like you're in a maze do you feel like a rock's tied to your leg and you're just being pulled under the water do you feel weighed down is it like you're in the darkness do you feel like you're in a dungeon you know what's it like and let someone just tell you what it's like and without trying to fix it just hear them because very few people who are depressed feel heard or known and it's one of the beautiful graces of the lord jesus that we can offer someone awesome well thank you so much where can uh people find your book uh, they can find it wherever books are sold you know so amazon.com or anywhere yeah all right 
Well, thank you so much, Zach. Thanks for coming on, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Jed. It's a privilege to be with you. Oh, it's your uh, hand. Uh, my finger. All right, man. Confession time. This is my confession. This is my confession. So, I'm sick. I'm on antibiotics. Mm-hmm. They're causing my tummy to rumble. All right. Yeah, they'll uh, do that. Kaylee made a delicious fried chicken and spicy broccoli dinner last night. Mm-hmm. Kaylee goes to the mm-hmm. grocery store. I'm uh, sitting on the couch watching Jack Ryan on Amazon. It's a good show, by the way. I recommend it. I just don't know how seriously I can take Jim Halpert as like a. I, I can. I buy it. He's not. He, he. Yeah. Well, he plays a good. He's not like super badass. He's like okay. re- reluctant badass. It's good. It's really good okay. actually. It's, okay. I think you'd right. like it. Okay. Um, I just need. I just need them credentials. All right. You yeah. text me the your password later. All right. Cool. So, <laughs> so I'm watching. Uh, I'm watching Jack Halpert fight terrorism, and I'm like, his name's J- Jim Jim Halpert. Halpert. Yeah. What a Jack Ryan Halpert. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I feel I feel the tummy rumble, and I'm like, okay, just it's, a, it's gonna be a little fart. Um, John, oh, no. I, I pooped my pants, John. <laughs> <laughs> I've only done that twice in my entire life. That has never, ha- even when I was on drugs, that didn't happen, John. That's so funny. We had friends that that happened to while we were all on drugs. We did. We called them Captain Poo Poo Pants. You know who you are. <laughs> Dude, Dude. I-, I was in shock. You I'm can't so- when as we get. I'm telling you, we're getting old. You can't trust a fart, bro. <laughs> that, that's that. That was the I, I I posted that in a men's group I'm in, and that was that was the literal consensus was, hey man, we're getting older. Can't trust them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't like mad. I wasn't. Up, it was really. It was. It was pure shock. Pure shock. Oh, I bet. I was I just bet. like that. Did this really just happen to me? Oh God. It's awful, Has dude. Hey- has Kaylee left you yet? No, she laughed so hard though. I had to call her and tell her immediately. I was like, "Babe, something bad happened." Nope. I called her and she laughed hysterically in line. <laughs> uh, that's good. So was it like just a little squirtle, or did you like? It was just no. Dude, dude? It was just a little squirtle. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping for like you know. 
I, I mean, more, really. I mean, thank God I wasn't at work. I think I, I've, <laughs> you I've ran... never heard the end of that, dude. I would it would have uh... taken like cycles and cycles and cycles of kids for you to oh. not hear that. Well, no, because it would have just been passed down in treatment lore forever. Oh, dude, yeah, you literally—it's like I'd have to take a leave of absence until it was a whole new group of kids. <laughs> I, I've, I've rehearsed it. I've rehearsed it in my head because I don't know why, but I think about what would happen. It's like I would just. I would just get I would just get up and leave and not like not say anything to my boss, no one. I would just get up and leave. And, leave. and then and then like call her and be like, "Listen, this is what happened. Uh, I think you understand. They cannot find out." Right. Right, um, right, 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 right. So what do you what do you think about Mac Miller? I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Um dude, you know what sucks, man, is um I think Mac. I think this. I think the the people dying from fentanyl-laced opiates is getting way worse and not better. Um, I just like. Well, we had my sponsor's ex-husband. So my spot, my, not my sponsor. I'm sorry, my wife's sponsor, who has been a very dear friend of ours for eight plus years. Um, before she became my wife's sponsor, was a close family friend. Her ex-husband. Um, shot himself, uh, and and he had been dealing with this um, disease for years. He'd been trying to get clean forever. He's a junkie. Um, and then last night, I was on the book face, and I see another kid that I knew since middle school died of an overdose. Yeah, that's man. And it, it's like a kid I it, was in Oxford House with four years ago or five years ago died too. Yeah, that was just this past week, bro. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. No, it's four uh, days ago. and um it's it's tragic and uh and it's truly it's it's worse than the 80s crack epidemic you know oh, what yeah. i mean because people are dying from this yeah for sure and uh and i don't know that there's a i haven't heard of any good solutions so um and i don't have one either <laughs> no it's, it's just really fucking sad and um so I, I was never a big – so I, I got introduced to Mac Miller's music like when we were in college, right, when he was like the college. He was a frat rap guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I never liked his music, um, but it took him dying for me to revisit his newest album, and that shit is fire, dude. I know. And I can, That's the sad and I can, story. I can feel um, – I can feel it. I, I just know, like, you can listen to it and understand where he was. Um, not overly desperate, not overly, you know, dying, but, like, sedated and contemplating what life is about. Um, it's really sad. There's one track, uh, maybe you can play it at the end, Jed. There's one track called 2009. All right. um, at the end of that record his new record swimming that um i think real i mean it's just it's sad knowing that he died after is, he is, created is that, that, is, that the, is that the one talking about like i'm scared i'm gonna die type thing no it's uh, it's the the hook something like i don't need to lie no more all i do is shine blah 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 blah, blah. but it starts with these strings it's this really melancholy track but he has he has uh, rhymes in it like um, what's funny is we can make all this money and buy all these things and still feel all kinds of ugly and then he you know 
Yeah. It's just, it's interest. It's interesting. It's really sad. And, and, um, anyway, so I've been thinking a lot about that recently. Um, cause we've all had really close friends die. Um, but I feel like the frequency of people that I know oh, it's dying so much quicker. has dramatically increased. So, I, I mean, I'm going to pick up 10 years in January, right? And, like, Ooh. people died. People died the first five years I was sober, for sure. Um, but the increase in the last two to three years of people dying has been astronomical. I mean, it's yeah, been exponential. exponential. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's, it's terrifying. It's yeah. terrifying. So, yo, if we have any listeners out there using, actively using, first, please be fucking safe. You know? Like, please be safe. Know where you're getting your shit from. And uh, and if you want to get clean, like, there's a solution, you know? Right. That's Anyway, the, yeah, that's dude, my that's, soapbox for that, the day. That's the, uh, the senseless tragedy of the whole thing is that there's a way out, but it's just... Yeah. And we, uh, yeah, it's like you, you think you have uh, unlimited amount of time to figure it out, but yeah. you just don't anymore. That's just, and it, I think people are still even struggling with that reality of like, well, I can still go back out and I have a few more in me, but it's like you really might not. You just well, won't. The th- and the game has changed so much since I got clean, too. Yeah. It's like it used to be only IV users overdosed and died. You know, for the most part, yeah. right? There weren't aftermarket pills like there are now. Um, and so, like, now, fuck, dude. You take two pills yeah, and that, die. And that's, like, that uh, that police officer, that police captain that overdosed off fentanyl uh, from the evidence locker, that was cocaine. Yeah. Which, right. is, which is, like, what? It, you can't even, yeah, you can't even... Yeah, yeah, that's, it's that's terrifying. It's like it's getting sketchy, and like, and then, so, I mean, like I hope, but I hope it's sketchy, but it's so much more sketchy now. Well, than it, it was. is, and it, it it makes me want to. I hope, and I've heard, you know, interviews with Lil Xan and all these other Lil rappers, and he said the same shit when um, when uh, Lil, Lil Pump Peep, died, Lil Peep died, a Lil Peep. That's and right. He, he was like, "Yeah, man, I'm gonna calm down." And da da da. It's just like you, maybe now you can realize that like you have some influence, and like what you're spouting like is is literally killing people, or like yeah, you know, like literally. I uh, do know Lil Xan stopped doing Zans, did he? Which is yeah. Now he's, yeah, he's Lil talked, Dan. He's he's talked a lot about that. Um, not that I, his, I think that his music is garbage, but I do too, but it's like, I respect their platform and it's time for yeah. them to fucking respect their platform and realize that like, that sure. you, you have like a, a massive responsibility. It's just crazy. And well, and what yeah, me it's too, hard, man. What, Cause they're kids. These are kids. Yeah, little pump is I little know. pump. Little pump just turned 18. Good God. And he got give, arrested. Give me millions. He of... got a he got arrested in Miami two weeks ago for driving a Maserati without a license. Give me a give eighteen year old Jed millions <laughs> of dollars, Because like I said, boy. man, I, I, you know I've been overdosing since before it was cool, dude. I would not. <laughs> we would have all been. We would have all fuck, been dead. Dude. Dead, dead, dead. <laughs> if you got if you got a million dollars, one million dollars, we would all be dead. Oh yeah, of course. 
Of course. <laughs> hey, guys, check it. I got this new, you know, dead. Right. Yes, dead. It, it bothers me, too, because there was another um, Kyle, the lead singer of We Came As Romans, which is a metalcore band. He also overdosed and died. Um, I heard about that. Yeah. Well, and that was shitty because they the, all the articles were like Kyle uh, dies of accidental drug overdose, and everyone, all the keyboard warriors, were like, "How do you accident? He did drugs on purpose." Da 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 da. And it's just like, uh, right. you pieces of garbage. Like what? Yes, he meant yeah. to die. Like get out of my face with. And it's just so weird the dichotomies between like with. Um, so, like, with him, everyone's like, blah, he shouldn't have done drugs, deserve it. With Mac Miller, it's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And with Ariana, or, um, who was the one that overdosed recently? The chick. Oh, uh, what's her face? I know you're talking about. The Disney chick. What's her name? What's I know you're talking Disney about. Chick? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like she's in that vein. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, the girl that is similar to Ariana Grande. <laughs> Demi Lovato. There we go. Demi. Yeah. She and everyone's was like, Disney. oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. You know, so this is, I mean, I guess this is, like, one of the solutions people can do. It's, like, maybe treat every addict out there as if they were Mac Miller or your fa- or someone you loved. And, like, maybe, right. you know, there'd be a chance. Maybe, like, quit making it such a stigma and posting videos of couples knotted out in cars and just talking shit about them like they're less than human. That's a start. Right. But yeah, yeah, and that's and we talk about this all the time. And we've done a whole episode on death and overdose specifically. But these people that are dying—they're not only are they people, but they led oftentimes rich, uh, complex um, lives. Yeah. And I mean, so for Johnny, for instance, my buddy who died years ago um he was a suicide prevention helpline guy like he helped top people off the fucking ledge you know he was two two credits away from his bachelor's degree in psychology so he could go into the field that you're in now yeah you know um taylor my buddy who died just two years ago uh, or a year and a half ago maybe um he was engaged and he was raising a daughter that wasn't his Right. And he loved his family and um, and he had five years, five, no, eight years sober, seven, eight years sober and helped hundreds of people get sober. And and he took, you know, and he slipped. Right. That's the. and he took some shit and he died. And so, like, is all of that negated because the the way the way in which that their disease finally killed them? I don't think so. It can't no, be. Absolutely you know? not. So absolutely not. These well, people have their stories. Is my point. Yes, they're not that's a just good point. overdose statistics. There's stories. There's true rich lives behind these people, and that's what makes it extra tragic for me, at least. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, hopefully, our little contribution with this podcast just helps with that. I don't know. That's just humanizing so. things, man. I can only hope so, but. Yeah. Send us uh, send us an email, churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash churchandotherdrugs. Um, anything else, bud? Uh, stay, alive. stay the fuck alive. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's our message. Please stay, stay alive. alive. Yeah.
do is shine, take a breath and ease my mind. She don't cry no more. She tell me that I get her high, cause the angel's supposed to fly. I ain't asking why no more. Oh no, I take it if it's mine, I don't stay inside the lines. It ain't 2009 no more. Yeah, I know what's behind that door. Yeah, okay, you gotta jump in the swim. Well, the light was dim and this light was sin. Now every day I wake up and breathe. I don't have it all, but that's all right with me. Take it nice and easy, took a flight to see me. Send you back home with a light that's beaming. The whole team about to figure it out. We ice cold, that's what we're about. And sometimes, sometimes, I wish I took a simpler route. Instead of having demons that's as big as my house. Mm-hmm. Have a ball with it, dribble and bounce. Cause the party ain't over till they kicking me out. Yeah, isn't it funny? We can make a lot of money. Buy a lot of things just to feel a lot of ugly. I was yay high and muddy. Looking for what was looking for me. But I don't need to lie no more. Nowadays, all I do is shine. Take a breath and ease my mind. She don't cry no more. She tell me that I get her high, cause the angel's supposed to fly. I ain't asking why no more. Oh no, I take it if it's mine, I don't stay inside the lines. It ain't 2009 no more. Yeah, I know what's behind that door. Yeah, they ask me what I'm smiling for. Well, because I've never been this high before. It's like I never felt alive before. Rather have me peace of mind than one. You see me and you, we ain't that different. I struck the fuck out and then I came back swinging. Take my time to finish, mind my business. A life ain't a life till you live it. I was digging me a hole, big enough to bury my soul. Weight of the world, I gotta carry my own, my own. With these arms, I can carry you home. I'm right here when you're scared and alone, and I ain't never in a hurry. You don't never gotta worry Even when it's 7.30 and the time is running low When your heart get cold See what's behind all them unturned stones And I'm a pro when it come to my job But really I'm just trying to start believing in God Now when it gets hard I don't panic, I don't sound the alarm Because I don't need to lie no more Nowadays, all I do is shine, take a breath and ease my mind. She don't cry no more. She tell me that I get her high, cause the angel's supposed to fly. I ain't asking why no more. Oh no, I take it if it's mine, I don't stay inside the lines. It ain't 2009 no more. Yeah, I know what's behind that door. I don't need to lie no more. Nowadays, all I do is shine, take a breath and ease my mind. She don't cry no more. She tell me that I get her high, cause the angel's supposed to fly. I ain't asking why no more. Oh no, I take it if it's mine, I don't stay inside the lines. It ain't 2009 no more. Yeah, I know what's behind that door.